All right. Can good afternoon. Good morning or, or good evening, depending where you're joining us from. Thank you for joining the Business Leadership Podcast live. Today's date is Wednesday, the 28th of November, 2018. This is episode number 63, and I am Edwin Frondozo. The Business Leadership Podcast Live is a live call-in radio show where I speak to business leaders, subject matter experts, and thought leaders to discuss the latest innovations, current events, or best practices that will help you personally and professionally grow. This episode is brought to you by Slingshot VoIP, a leader in business voice AI technologies that help companies understand what the customers are saying when they are calling in. Um, really excited for today's episode. Um, my co-host today is Lloyd Lobo. He is the co-founder of Both Boast AI, which helps businesses businesses automate the complicated process of claiming R and D incentives from the government. AI Boast at Boast, Lloyd is responsible for growth, go-to-market, and new product strategy. He's also the co-founder of Traction which brings together founders and leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to share best practices on business growth. Um, Lloyd and I actually met a couple of months ago here in Toronto, and we were talking about many things. Uh, amongst it was also like bootstrapping and starting businesses. And both of us being founders of companies and bootstrapped, we thought it'd be a great topic to talk about bootstrapping a company um, successfully, and you know, a lot of people forget about the trade of bootstrapping. Um, everyone, everyone is probably focused on raising money at this point. So, I'm really excited about this. So, if you are joining us live, love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, question, um, concerns, or something that you don't agree with, just just put it into the browser. Also, say hi. Let us know where you're joining us from. Um, and if you do have a success story of bootstrapping a company would love to have you join us share your story live um with us. without further ado lloyd how are you doing today welcome i know you just arrived to toronto so thank you for joining joining the show today thank you edwin thank you for having me uh, super excited to be on this yeah no this this is going to be great i know this is a topic close close to heart especially for i mean this is a lot of the stuff that you work with as well so so i'm just going to get started to get the conversation going um lloyd for you whether it's personally or professionally or, or as an advisor why why do you say you have you should bootstrap versus raising money at this point so a little bit of back history there i've been a part of three venture back companies before boast and uh, through my time uh, i've seen that there's different stages right that you go through as a founder and the more i find you delay raising money one, it makes you very disciplined in the way you go about your business. Two, it also helps you figure some, out some key things um, that you have surety or closure on. And, and then when you raise money with that, you have a more definitive answer about what you're raising. So I'll give you a simple example. Let's mm -hmm. say you have an idea. And the first step you do is want to go and raise all this money. And you don't have a product. You have an idea. You don't even have product market fit. And, and you go and raise money. Now you're going to give up more money than ever, or rather more equity than ever. And you're going to raise that money to give up product uh, to, uh, to build your idea, right? And say uh, a while in, you run out of that money. Now your option is raise more money or shut down, right? And that's the, that's, that's the cycle. And then uh, you go on this never-ending 
cycle of raising money till you hit product market fit. And then once you have product market fit, uh, you're, you've sort of diluted a lot of your company. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's a very stressful process as a founder in a small team. You can either raise money uh, or get customers and build your product really well as a bootstrap company. You can't do both. And in the early stages, it's very hard to drill track. And I've, I've been a part of that uh, process three times before bootstrapping this one. And uh, as founders, we have a propensity to exaggerate what we're doing. And oftentimes, you'll, you'll you know, exaggerate the vision or, or talk very passionately about your vision that will get you the funding. But then six, six months in, eight months in, a year in, if you're not hitting product market fit and you're not ready to grow, it becomes a difficult conversation with the investors. So my philosophy from my learnings has been um, you have an idea, validate it with paying customers, uh, even if it's a few, get to product market fit, and then focus on raising money uh, because then you have something tangible. You're like, okay, I have this. I have a few customers that are happy. Now I need money to sell and figure out my my customer acquisition retention model. Yeah. No, I, I love that and how you were saying that, you know, have an idea and look for a few paying customers. I know for us, when we lost, launched, I was basically, and we didn't even have the brand at that time, Lloyd. This is, I mean, this is true story. I would go in, uh, we were slingshots of telecommunications company selling hosted voice over IP products. But I would basically go in, however I got the lead, if it was word of mouth or through some strategic partners, I would go and say, okay, you need to change from this incumbent, whether it was not to name it the incumbents, but it could be Bell, AT&T, whatever, or you want to save money and go to this provider, or you could go to this one called Edwin's Voice of IP platform. <laughs> and we never even had a platform. I was just seeing if anyone would go for it. And to my surprise, we... Uh, People are like, you know, your value proposition makes sense. This is great. How much is it? Yeah, that's perfect. Let's go with it. And the crazy thing is we didn't really have a product. We had the idea. We we sort of tested it, but we never really went into production. But that's a whole long story short. And that's sort of what I tell entrepreneurs to come up come up for, uh, you, know, you know, to have an idea. I was actually at an event last night um, at the D, um, up in Ryerson. It was, it was people pitching. And someone asked us, you know, I have an idea, but I want to raise money. And I'm like, well, you know, if anyone's going to buy it, right? And he was like, I'm not sure. I'm like, well, that's the first step. So um, if you are just joining us live, Lloyd and I, what we're talking about is bootstrapping and, and perhaps how to, how to, you know, why it's important to do that before starting to raise, raise money is that. So what do you think now? I mean, because of your experience, personal experience, Lloyd, and perhaps you being an advisor and even the work you're doing, like what, what kind of companies are, are best suited for bootstrapping now? So, you know, um, I, I've seen several kinds of companies over the years. And uh, uh, there are some that are very capital intensive, like, you know, in the health healthcare space, in the hardware space, you need money. And uh, you know, ways, there's ways to bootstrap that with personal money or government funding and so on if you're in Canada. But generally speaking, I think most uh, offerings that, that are replacing manual work, right, in an industry um, can be uh, accomplished without funding. So, for example, um, in our space, in the accounting space, 
uh, we're, our, our mission is to account, automate accounting, starting with automating R&D credits or shred credits. Uh, it's been done manually currently in the industry. So the best way to take on uh, problems like that is take a few customers, do it manually, learn how it's done, they're paying you anyway, and then automate that process. And you can look at that for any industry that's a service that's doing it uh, mostly manually. So you can look at it for legal, uh, you can look at it for pretty much any service, right? Uh, if, you look, if you look at uh, something as, uh, as simple as home care services, right? Somebody's coming and cleaning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can, and, and you want to take it online, maybe step one, you could, uh, you could just run an ad for your services. You can start a Facebook group for your services. And then when you have enough traction in a community where you're constantly uh, running out of capacity because you have so much volume, then you can take it online and turn it into a marketplace and try to connect people uh, and take a cut out of it. So I think almost most, not almost all, but most things you can do manually and bootstrap and get some revenue in, learn from the delivery mechanism and then automate the delivery mechanism. And I, I really like businesses like that because uh, it's easier to bootstrap. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's just a matter of, again, going out there and, and looking for people to sell it, right? I mean, the misconception is that you need money to market, right? I mean, really... We have the internet now, and we have social media. Like, like no one. I don't. I don't. I don't know about you, Lloyd. I know for me, social media wasn't readily available when I first became an entrepreneur. So you're really. I I knocked on doors, man. Like that was, that was not easy, <laughs> and that was that was hard. I I welcome the the idea of of the so, social media and Facebook marketing and and all this and getting to the right people because I Amanda I could have knocked on 99 doors that were probably the wrong person. Um, to get to the one, so it's uh, this uh, entrepreneurship and bootstrapping is definitely, quote unquote, relatively easier. It's still more difficult because with all the tools, it makes it a lot harder and more, and more competition, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so if you look at it, right, uh, what is the key differentiator? There's a lot of conversation around application fatigue or SaaS fatigue, especially in the B two B SaaS space, right? There's so many applications out there. And 90% of these applications, there's no major competitive advantage over the other. And so you can have a competitor prop up from anywhere and build the application um, and, and, and sell it for cheaper to your competition or to your customers, rather. Um, so you got, the, you got the giants or the leaders in the space, and then you have people who just make knockoffs or I have this additional feature or that additional feature. So how do you differentiate in this market? How do you improve your startup's success? I feel uh, the key way to combat that is through customers, right? If you have happy customers that love your product, then uh, the competition uh, doesn't really matter. And, uh, and so the next generation of successful applications will be applications that have a human element to it, right? So it's not like buying a widget from me, but... Mm -hmm. You're buying a widget from me to get a specific job done for yourself. And uh, um, if the onboarding and the experience of using it is laborious, then that widget's going to lose uh, the customer. The customer is going to turn. The customer is not realizing value from the widget. So uh, the good thing or, or the way to get around that is 
how do you help your customers realize value from your product sooner, quicker, faster, right? Every, everyone is using a widget to get something done. And if you help them get that something done faster, then that's, that's the best way. No, exactly, exactly. Thank you. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a lot of I wouldn't say handholding. Um, the onboarding experience for SaaS companies is is huge. It's the huge differentiator for for a lot. I mean, even for me as a as an entrepreneur, or even a user of a lot of platforms, and, and we're just talking specifically for those just joining. I mean, it's not necessarily has to be a SaaS company, but I know for me, it's definitely like. I don't know. Sometimes I don't even know who to choose, right? Because there's hundreds of uh, hundreds of the same application. So it almost comes to who keeps who keeps uh, like top of mind. So if if I did search one, you know, all of a sudden they're all over all over the internet. I just keep seeing them, or I just go to my my network. Hey Lloyd, who do I? And and I know I did this with you, Lloyd, a couple of months ago. It was like, what do I use? to do outbound reach right like there's so many products out there and how did you get to one to over the other and it's almost like if you don't have that network or that recommendation you're going to get lost and it's, it's also you know how do you come to that realization right everyone uses a product or a widget or a service to get a specific job done and uh, i feel like there are all these things that are that should essentially be features in a product so if you look at outbound itself there is my process is I need to go and collect data so I can contact them. And then I need a process or a systematized way to contact them over phone, email, text, whatever. Now, those are two different processes or multiple different processes. There's, there's data repositories where you can go and buy data. There's calling systems. There's email marketing systems. There's SMS or messaging systems like Inacom. And now all of a sudden, uh, you're sitting on a stack of six, seven, eight tools. Yes. And if you can bring them all together, my ideal uh, my ideal use case would be one tool that does everything because otherwise I'm managing six, seven, eight tools for the same thing. The, the end outcome is I want a qualified appointment uh, with a contact. So I buy leads, we call them, we email them, we send them messages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now you're managing multiple systems and most systems don't tie together. So now you got to tie them together to make sure all the all the feedback, there's a proper feedback loop and it's flowing. And so um, you know, there's huge opportunity here where there's all these disparate tools and there's uh, no one's focused on the onboarding experience or focused on what job their customers are trying to get done. Not many people are focusing on that angle. They're saying, oh, let's just build this application uh, and it'll be a SaaS application. I mean, why does it even need to be a SaaS application? Can you... Uh, you know, you, you can do a SaaS plus service and, and get the customer to their outcome faster and customers will be glad to pay it rather than manage the whole headache themselves. Yeah, exactly. And, and you said a couple of things there in terms of, you know, really the, the customer service and really understanding the customer story. I know even last night, Lloyd, when I was going, you know, when, when all, the, all the people who pitched, and they were telling me, you know, can you give me feedback? I was like, you know, if you started with the customer pain at the beginning of your pitch, I might have got it right off the back, but it took me like three minutes before I realized what the heck you, the problem you were solving, right? Um, um, and I think that's what you were talking about in terms of like, you know, you have these six applications. Is like, how, you know, what's the customer story? Lloyd's customer story is he doesn't want to manage six, six, 
<laughs> six pieces of software, um, you know, and, and you're really onboarding, you know, you're taking quote unquote business from six different other vendors. Right. Uh, but how yeah. do you, how, how do you know that story? Because, you know, you're talking to people. Exactly. So now if you look at the case of our product, right, um, we're competing with the traditional accounting firms and consulting firms who do who help companies with R&D incentives or shred credits in Canada, U.S. R&D incentives mm -hmm. in the U.S. And what is the process right now? It's do it manually. You go to a company and you tell their CTO, tell me what you did in the last year yeah. uh, in terms of R&D. And that CTO has to go through all his project management systems, sprint planning, docs, documentation, and try to remember at the end of the year what they did. Right. And it's a laborious process. Now, then somebody has to write that up and prepare it, submit it to the government. And if the government audits them, then that CTO gets dragged in and tries to explain everything. Like, why isn't that a better way? And, and that's what we have tried to do is saying, hey, all these the data points exist in your uh, in your project management systems, in your sprint planning docs, in your financial systems. Why can't we pull this data real time throughout the year, make sense of it? and figure out what qualifies, extrapolate time tracking, and prepare your claim. So at year end, you're not trying to think, oh, what did I do last year, right? At the end of the day, uh, you got to look for the outcome. And if the client's outcome is, I want the maximum possible return with minimal headache, um, then that's what you're, you should focus on. Uh, and, and the same thing, if, if you look at it from, from the lead gen aspect, we talked about six, seven different tools to get an appointment. What is the outcome I'm looking for? I want more qualified meetings with little headache, and I want to make sure that there's no data loss uh, and, and there's a complete picture on each contact. And if I'm trying to combine six, seven, eight different tools, then that's already starting from a bad place. Yeah, no, 100%. If you're just joining us live, what we're talking about, um, not only about bootstrapping, but maybe we're getting a little ahead of the game and, and we'll take a couple steps back. But uh, Lloyd was saying how, you know, not only how do you distinguish yourself from from a, a sea of competitors and combining understanding the user user story but you know and really and really going from there and making customers happy so i just want to take a, a couple steps back because i know with you and i understanding technology and having platforms you know what are the steps for those and we just quickly talked about it you know to really bootstrap successfully like what were the key steps that you think if you were to talk to someone maybe you're an advisor maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's someone a good friend of yours who just sits down and says lloyd how, how do i bootstrap successfully like what are what are the three to five steps i need to do today so the way i look at it is i have an idea right um, and you're saying okay uh, should i do this idea or not the first exercise I do is, is one, figure out if there's a market for it, if, if there's a pain point tied to that idea. So there's a few ways you can do it. And and one is I, li I like to do a breakdown uh, or, or a hypothesis based on size of the market, ease of access, and propensity to pay. Right. Mm -hmm. So size of the market. How big is this addressable market for me right now? How easily can I access them or get reach them? And uh, And what is their propensity to pay? So it may be that my two markets available to me are doctors and entrepreneurs. And doctors is a massive market. Entrepreneurs is also a massive market. Uh, but getting a hold of doctors is painful. And mm. uh, usually they don't have the, uh, they have budgetary constraint because they're, they're not in charge of their hospital budgets. Whereas entrepreneurs, uh, also there's a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, uh, it's easier to access them. 
because they're more open and uh, they're in charge of their own budget versus relying on someone else. So that's essentially an initial assessment I do uh, based on ease of access, propensity to pay, size of market, and then uh, we'll create a list of 100 or so in each and start reaching out to them and actively sell them on this idea mm. and, get, and take it to a point where essentially you're trying to understand what are their pains, right? What are their biggest pains right now? And, and starting from how are they trying to do solve that pain? What are all the hundred steps they're trying to do? Or even if there is a hundred steps to solve that pain, right? It could be a small pain and they're like, yeah, it's a pain, but it's more, it's more of an itch, not, not a deep wound. Right. And, and it's fine. But like, trying to understand is there a wound or is it just an itch that they're trying to scratch and then how are they trying to solve that today what are the infinite number of steps right uh, so what are what is the job they're trying to get done what are the tasks they're trying to do and what does the delighted state look like and and understanding on both sides and then uh, understanding for both markets and then if they got that delighted state how much would they pay for it mm -hmm. and literally get them to open their wallet and and sell it to them Right, and and I think that those that step is very cu crucial because it sets the stage for you. And there's a lot of research tools out there that you can go and figure out your market size, how many contacts are in an industry, yada yada. Right? Yeah. You can you can do examples of, of reaching out to them, and I've done it for multiple multiple industries. I've done it in the ticketing space. I've done it in the conference calling space. I've done it in the sales tool space. Uh, I've done it now in the accounting space, and so on. So. Uh, I would say that is step number one is figure out your ideal customer profile. And in the beginning, you don't have your ideal customer profile. So you would have to profile three or four and, and based on uh, ease of access, size of market and propensity to pay, reach out to contacts on each, get meetings and then nail down one from there and then start delivering your service, selling more and more simultaneously. You build it. Um, you deliver that value based on their feedback. You refine the value you're delivering, and then you scale that. You sell it to more people like that, right? And and, and that's been my approach. That's worked, and I'm. Uh, it's worth trying. Yeah, no, for sure. And then and then it becomes repeatable. And I guess um, if you're just joining us, I got a couple more minutes left. What we're talking about is, you know, how to successfully bootstrap a company, whether it's services, whether it's a platform, whatever the case is, um, Lloyd is sharing in terms of, because he's done this a number of times and I've done it uh, maybe not as many times as, as Lloyd, but uh, just really understanding that. Um, so feel free to post some questions if you're joining us live and we'll get to it. Otherwise, if you're catching us on the replay, reach out to me directly edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. Love to answer your questions. And if it's for Lloyd, uh, we'll definitely get Lloyd to share how to get a hold of him at, at the end or let me know and I'll I'll definitely shoot it out to him as well. So now that you got this you know, product market fit and I know you quickly talked about why you bootstrap and, and push back um, the time to raise capital, but really... When is the ideal optimal time, do you think, to raise capital, Lloyd? So the way I would urge people to think about it is uh, think about capital when you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need it. Think about all the other things you haven't done first to get there, right? So in Canada, there's all these government funding programs like IRAP and so on. Uh, there's, there's your personal money. There's friends and family. Uh, I, I would I would try to 
work through that. First, get it from customers, then from the government. Uh, customers and yourself, then from the government, then friends and family, and then try to raise outside, right? But it's like, why do you need the money? So how do I get to product market fit? Can you get to product market fit by selling your customers with customer revenue, number one? Once you get to product market fit, then you need to get to product channel fit, meaning, you know, I'm explain that. So product yeah. market fit is I have one type of customer loving my product and paying for it or willing to pay for it, right? And I have enough of those. And anyway, it's just a feeling. And that probably takes like a year or two to get to. Mm-hmm. Then you need to get to like a couple million in revenue. And I feel like getting to a couple of million in revenue doesn't come from doing 100, 200 things. It comes from doing one or two things really well. And that's what I call product channel fit. And that's where you have to find one way to acquire and retain this customer, one or two ways. There can't be like 500 ways to do that, right? So because when you when you say, oh, I'm gonna run a bit of ads, oh, I'm gonna do some events, oh, I'm gonna go and speak on podcasts, oh, I'm gonna write blog posts. It's oh, all over the place. Create. It's yeah. all over the place and then even the bigger growth teams, you know, have a hard time tracking the uh, ROI from each channel and it, look, it requires a lot of uh, strategic and sophisticated thinking, innovative thinking. So how can you make all channels work? And I applied the same process I did for product market fit in product channel fit. Is I identify one or two channels based on hypothesis, one, two, or three. I figure out uh, what the ROI will be. I make a hypothesis on it, and I test out those channels. And if I'm seeing good traction from one channel, I double, triple down on it and ditch the rest, right? So you could say, I'm gonna try ads and I'm gonna acquire a big list and I'm gonna run webinars to it and try cold emailing, cold call. And you and you dual track that and you realize that the ROI on running ads is lower than doing outbound. So I'm gonna just get outbound. And I'm gonna spend more and more time and jamming more data through outbound rather than spending more money on ads. Essentially, say you're a B2B software company, what is the outcome you're looking for there on the channel? You're looking for demos, right? So how many demos does ads lead or what is the cost per demo on an ad versus cost per demo on on doing cold call, cold email versus uh, writing content on LinkedIn or doing some integration with the marketplace and, and how scalable it is. Like what is the flow of that, right? So like, yeah, you could spend, say you have to spend 500 bucks for every demo and your product contract value is 10,000 bucks, it's worth it. But then you're sending cold emails and making cold calls and you're getting to 100 bucks a demo. And so then you're like, okay, I'm gonna double down on uh, on that channel, which is cold email, cold call. And and maybe what I'll do is to, to improve the performance there, the ads I'll run, it's just not to a blank sphere of all the people in my market, I'm gonna run the ads to people who are cold calling and call, cold emailing to warm it up to make it more successful. Right. So get to that product channel fit. You know you have product channel fit when you're getting demos successfully and you're getting to a close ratio. So like, if you can say that for every 100 people I reach out to, I'm getting four or five meetings or something like that. Um, and, and then you look at it from that point on is like for every meeting I take, how many go to a proposal stage and how many go to a payment stage, then you have a funnel going, right? And then you have a repeatable, scalable channel and then you have a product marketing channel, growth channel. 
I mean, I love that. I love how you broke it down. Um, I mean, it's almost similar concepts, but one for the product and then one to, to the channel. And and when I think to my current business, um, even for maybe not the my slingshot, but for this platform, the Business Leadership Podcast, um, you know, my my clients, my partners are brands or organizations, right? But right now I have had you know, my channels and my partners have come from everywhere. So like, how do I focus on a channel? Right. And this is where I work with, you know, a couple of key people. And I'm like, okay, I've reached out to through this channel cold and knowing the brands and doing the research, like you said, um, what's my ROI on that. And it's really maybe what I'm not doing a good job, Lloyd. And, and you could tell me right now is maybe I'm not even keeping that metrics. I need to do this, even if it's on a spreadsheet, right? Even if it's on a spreadsheet, <laughs> even if it's on a piece of paper, start with something. You need to track. If you don't, if you don't track and measure, you don't know if you're gonna grow. Like, how do you know? Even if even a, something as simple as diet and working out and losing weight. If yeah. you don't track week on week what you're putting in your body and how much, what is it? What is the differential week on week in your body fat and so on? Then how do you know you're growing or shrinking or what? All you see is a mirror and and and. A mirror can lie sometimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It depends which mirror you're in or what fun house you're in, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that so that's why I think I think the data run your business by the data and it becomes all the more important when you're running a bootstrap company because you don't have you don't have the liberty. You don't you can't be frivolous with money. So you gotta run the business by data. You gotta say, Okay, I reached out to hundred people this week, I got five meetings. Out of those five meetings, uh, three went into a pilot phase. And one is at a proposal stage, and and that data brings calm because then you run the business like that, and, and you have a cadence every week. You're saying, okay, let's analyze how many, how, how much activity we did on the marketing side, how many leads did it generate, how many uh, demos did it generate, and how many people went into pilot, and how many people went into uh, a, a contract stage, and and it creates that calm. And then you're like, okay, now I have this funnel going. So the hypothesis is if I double, triple quadruple the data going through the top of the funnel, then I'm going to at least double, triple, quadruple the contracts at the bottom, right? So that's, that's what you want to get to as a product channel fit. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, I really, I mean, you and I, I, I know when we first met, we geeked out for a long time and then I totally picked your brain and I think we could go on forever, but um, I think, I think I definitely want to ensure that you know, I have an open door with you, and we could really talk about specific strategies uh, in the new year on another on another episode for sure. But before before I let you go, Lloyd, any final tips, recommendations for 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 the for the business leaders or entrepreneurs uh, that are listening today? Yeah, yeah. the first thing is, uh, it, it's very easy when you have money to say, "I'm going to spend money to do this." I recommend trying something as a founder, especially of an early stage company. Try doing it yourself, right? Um, and and spend time thinking up through data and metrics. Spend time uh, looking at your data and metrics closely. Uh, don't analyze it on a monthly basis. I think when you're an early stage company, a month is too far. Look at things on a weekly basis. I sometimes look at uh, look at metrics on a daily basis. I have, make sure you have a company wide dashboard for your channels, for your sales team, for your operations team, have a, have a success metric for each. So for us, on the on the marketing side, it's number of qualified meetings booked per week. For the salespeople, 
its number of meetings that have become gone into proposal stage, or rather number of meetings that are furthered from a demo because the sales team gets it at the demo phase. So how do you take it from demo to the next step, which is uh, which is uh, a deeper demo or a deeper investigation or a proposal, right? So how many of those have furthered from initial stage? And then for the operations team, it is, uh, it's essentially how many customers have not churned, right? How many customers are happy? What is the NPS? So have specific success metrics for each of your departments and run the business like that. Now, when you're a small company, you don't have departments, right? <laughs> maybe all the departments is between three or four people or maybe 20, 25 people. And make sure people with functional roles know what their key metric is that they're being judged on and monitor it every week, not every month. Well, that's amazing. I really appreciate your time uh, today, Lloyd. I know, I know you're busy on a trip, uh, got meetings to go to, and and definitely one, th one thing Lloyd did share at the beginning before we recorded that he has a brand new family member, so congrats. I know uh, you may not even be having getting some sleep right now, <laughs> so so I do appreciate it. Appreci not much different than being an entrepreneur, right? You're not getting much sleep. It's the same, so it's fun. It's true, but Lloyd, before I before I do let you go, can you share? We can get more information about you, Boast Capital, Traction, or anything else you'd like to share with us today. Yeah, definitely. You can check out us at uh, check us out at Boast.ai, B-O-A-S-T.ai. If you're looking to automate and maximize your government incentives, then ch check us out. And then uh, we run this annual conference called Traction, and it's become a top 10 conference in Inc. and Forbes. That's uh, our company's annual conference. That's now become a 1,000-person event. And we've had every major Silicon Valley unicorn from Twilio to Red Hat to Qualtrics speak there. It's tractionconf.io, tractionconf.io. So check it out. And uh, if you're coming through this podcast, we'll give you a discount as well. Just message on the chat. Will do. And I'm going to post the links as well. Lloyd, thank you again. You have an amazing, amazing trip here in Toronto. I'm definitely going to keep in touch, but uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. A lot colder than San Francisco, but it's uh, I love Toronto. It's great. <laughs> awesome, Lloyd. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Bye. The Business Leadership Podcast Live is it's an almost daily show um, where I talk to business leaders, thought leaders, um, subject matter experts. Um, it happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so be sure to, to check us uh, out here on Dialogue. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to check out my podcast where I sit down with amazing business leaders to talk about their personal journey and experience in business leadership. New episode drops every Tuesday. You could catch it on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. But that's a wrap, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Have a fantastic week. Edwin signing off.